I'm super excited for today. It's all about making better action photos with my buddy David Bergman on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. As always, with this show and every show that I do, the show notes are at BehindTheShot.tv. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube, all the links will be down below the like button and subscribe button. And on your way down there, make sure that you hit like and subscribe. It helps a lot. And for this show, I've got so much to go through. I mean, normally I do a little bit at the beginning, but David and I have been talking and we've got so much we want to get through today. I just want to get right to my guest, commercial photographer, photo educator extraordinaire, somebody I I honestly believe is born to educate, specializes in action, music, portraiture, canon explorer of light, David Bergman. How are you, buddy? Steve, wow, what an intro. Thank you so much, buddy. It is uh, so good to be back here with you. Uh, it is good to see you. You know, I got to do the intro again because there's something I want to do. Hold on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this, <laughs> this is for the audio people. This is David Bergman. <laughs> I love that. Can I have, can I have a, a wave file of that that I can yes, use? Yes, you, you know, have a wave file of that. <laughs> when, I, when I walk into a room, I just play that ahead of me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You, when, when you go into the ring, as it were. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, uh, David is a friend of mine and one of those people, for those of you that don't know David Bergman, uh, which what the hell, man, seriously, but <laughs> David is one of the guys, when I first started photographing music some 15, whatever years ago, David is one of the first people that I, I followed. There's a, there's a handful of them, the Christy Goodwins of the world, the David Bergmans, El Macias, Toddy Young, uh, Danny Clinch, I could go on and on. Uh, as a music photographer, I'm a fan and have been of David's for a long time. And I'm, I'm honored now to be able to call you a friend. But for those that don't know you, you're, you're probably best known as Bon Jovi's tour photographer, but now you are country superstar Luke Combs tour photographer. Who are some of the other people you've toured with? Bare Naked Ladies? Um. Yeah, touring wise, Bare Naked Ladies was a big one. Um, I've worked with a lot of artists over the years. My first one was Gloria Stefan wow. back in the day when I lived in Miami. Yep, I did a little bit of tour work with her. Um, I've worked with Avril Lavigne and Sarah McLaughlin and a number of others. Um, but as far as big long tours being out on the road for you know years at a time, uh, you know Bon Jovi definitely the biggest one. And then now it's been Luke for the last few years. So uh, it's been it's been a fun ride so far. Calling Luke. A country superstar is an understatement. The guy is a yeah. he's a record breaker on level after level after level. I am curious because you mentioned Miami when you lived in Miami. You were actually a photojournalist working for the mm -hmm. Miami Herald, was it? Yep. Yep. OK. And really there you kind of focused on sports and you ended up shooting for Sports Illustrated for years and years. Thirteen SI covers. You photographed counting? a. Uh, yeah, who's counting? I'm counting, trust me. <laughs> yeah, so am I. <laughs> Olympics, Super Bowls, World Series, NBA Finals, NCAA, NCAA Championships, Stanley. I mean, I could go on and on with your sports pedigree, which is an interesting thing when I when I look at your road to where you are now, because I try, I do workshops too, uh, not at the level that you do, but I do workshops as well. And I try and explain to people really, Music is low light action photography. It is no different when I photograph mixed martial arts or movie tie or something like that. It's the exact same processes that I am using in getting getting a shot. I'm curious with your high end sports background. What do you bring from that 
to shooting somebody like a Bon Jovi or I was shocked about Luke Combs, how active he is on stage as well. What do you, what, where's, where's the crossover there? Yeah, it really is very similar uh, photographically because, you know, it's all uh, sort of compressed in one area. You know where the action is going to happen, a football field, a baseball diamond or a concert stage. The light is uh, a little bit, it can be inconsistent, you know, depending on where you are and what angle. It's a little tougher at a concert than it is at a sporting event. But and there's action and really the best pictures at those events it's a similar process because the best pictures might just happen, you know, like that, just those little thousands of a second that happen. You might have a three hour event, a three hour concert, a three hour football game, but there are maybe a half a dozen big moments that just happen like that, that maybe even the public doesn't see with the human, you know, with the, with your naked eye. Right. And capturing those moments at a, whether it's at a sporting event or a concert is what I live for. I love that. I, you know, for many years I've called myself an action photographer because I try not to limit it to a particular genre. I have fallen into a couple of genres over the years, but, um, but that's the stuff I like. I like those, those peak action moments and just really capturing those. Which, which is an interesting point of view because like all music photographers, I go into every show that I shoot, every fight that I shoot thinking I want a portfolio shot out of this realizing ahead of time that the portfolio shots are few and far between in what we do because you know one of my favorite things is, is when i you know talk music photography with people is those shots where okay i know this person's going to jump i know where they're going to jump i stand for the perfect shot but they jump facing the other way and i get a photo <laughs> of somebody's butt and it's a beautiful jump except for the <laughs> I mean, there are so many things that have to come together, even with all your planning, that you sure. have to be in the right spot. We're going to talk about shoot from the pit here in just a second, because when and, and it relates actually to this opening shot of, of Luke Combs show. If you don't know on a stage in the round, which is what Luke's is, the stage is in the center of the arena. If you don't know which corner he's going to be in for moment X. Because he's walking around the whole time. He could stop at yep. position three. He might be in position two. And there is no way you're going to get there. Yeah, which... I, I, used to, I used to jokingly say that I think sometimes I, I know I have an idea what he's going to do. I know there might be a big moment here. But I, like you said, I don't know where he's going to do it. And I used to jokingly say, I think that he sees me. And then he goes the other direction. Because more often than not, you're just out of place and there's really not much you can do about it in a, in a situation like that, you know, but you, you play the odds, you do what you think has the highest chance of you getting that moment. But at the end of the day, people are unpredictable and you never know what's going to happen. And that's what makes and it fun. That's the challenge, you know, and you be willing to not chase it, camp out, stand in a spot, which is not easy to do, by the way, uh, mentally, you're like, he's over there now. And I know he's going to do something. I want to go there, but you came up to me at one point when I was doing uh, your your workshop in Vegas, and I wasn't anywhere near the stage. I was tucked in a corner next to the stands by security, said hi to security. I'm just standing there trying to frame like this weird vertical with a spotlight coming down on Ashley McBride. You came up and you said, are you lost? But my whole thing is <laughs> sometimes I just, especially when I can shoot a whole show, I have a shot in my head I want and I commit to it. But wouldn't it be awesome? If one day you talk to Luke Combs and he went, oh, yeah, 
I see <laughs> That's you. Exactly I, what I, I, do. I, I intentionally go to the other. That would be awesome if that were the case. That would be funny. I don't want to know. I've never asked him. I've never said anything to him because that would that would destroy me. I think if he told me that. Oh, but no, obviously it would be it would be quite funny. But um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, try to. You know, it is it's a crapshoot, right? You just you just right. never know. And and just going back to something you said about my career and the sports leading into the music, I've found that. Um, you know, as a photographer, we all have our own style. We all have something we we're really good at, something we're proud of, something we we uh, like to do. And for me, it's that kind of action photography. And so when I came in to work with a band like Bon Jovi, I started to photograph John in a way that maybe he had never seen before. I mean, of course, I did the standard concert photography pictures. You have to do that, but he would do. He had a big a couple of big jumps in the show, and I was able to capture those in a way that I don't think he had ever really seen before. And we started putting those pictures out and he loved that. And so from a business standpoint, as a, as a photographer, um, that's good for me because I bring something right. to the table that not everybody else does. So having that sports background has really helped my concert photography career tremendously. Uh, hold, hold on. Let me go deeper on that for a second. This is going to be a long episode. I just know it. Let me go <laughs> deeper on that for a second because you, you that, that just stuck something in my head. Obviously, the sports background brings you into – seeing the moment and the action differently, right? Capturing that differently. But doesn't it also affect how you approach, I would think it would, how you approach all those moments, even the mellow, intimate moments, even though it's not action, I I, I would envision that your your ability to understand subject separation, because in in action, Subject separation is so key. So much can be happening in a scene. You've got to have separation of your subject. I imagine that comes through even those softer moments in a show, does it not? Yeah, I think there's a there's I mean, obviously everything in my career has influenced to put me where I am today. Right. I mean, as far as something like that, I think my my newspaper background influences that even more because in a newspaper, I've never been really the, the photographer, like the National Geographic photographer, who's going to tell a story over 20 pages, right? And tell, right. and each, you know, I, I do that a little bit, but there are people who are way better at that than I am. I'm the guy who wants to get everything in one shot, right? I want to tell the whole story in one picture. And that's from the newspaper because you had one shot on that front page that had to grab people's attention and ha give them an idea of what the story was all about. And I learned that in my twenties when I worked at the newspaper and that's influenced a lot of what I do also. So, you know, when I'm backstage or I'm, you know, in like you said, the mellow moments or things like that, I'm still trying to think, I'm thinking about what's important here and what's, what's going to tell the story of this show. I, I, I feel like it's my job to convey the emotion and the energy and the, just the moment in the show for the fans who are there and the fans who aren't there. So um, so I'm trying to get it all in one frame. And I think when I'm backstage, things like, you know, looking at backgrounds and those kinds of things to try to really uh, put the story front and center. You know, if it's two musicians talking to each other after the show or maybe they've got their arms around each other, walking down the hallway, exhausted with towels over their heads or whatever, you know, those kinds of moments. Yeah, you're not just getting that moment, but I'm also, as most photographers would do, looking at everything that's going on around and making sure there's no distractions to pull your eye away from what's really important that I want you to see. You're the Twitter of photographers. You've only got 280 <laughs> characters. Brevity is key and less is more. And yeah. you've got to do it in one tweet. That's really, so you no, mentioned we've that. Got 20, we've got 24 million pixels now. So it's- Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. 
you mentioned Nat Geo photographers. I just had Sam Abelon, who for 33 or 23, whatever years, was a, a Nat Geo photographer. It was an amazing conversation and show with him. I'm and sure, yeah, uh, you're not dissimilar from that. Rolling Stone, Time, Newsweek, People, Kerrang, USA Today. I'm missing something. New York Times, People. Um, you have You have been all over the place. And I think... I think that whole life experience, look, we're, we're, we're a product of, of uh, everything that we've been through. We stand on the shoulders of those that came before us, and then we become shoulders sure. for others. And you are the consummate educator. Now, I say that having done workshops of my own, I do one for Princeton Photo Workshop, uh, but your workshops, your ability to teach, I would suggest is unequaled in this industry. Maybe a Scott Kelby, I think, is also somebody who is absolutely born to educate. I think Scott's one of the the best people out there for education. Um, and there's a, a few others. I mean, I'm not going to go through the list, but I mean, obviously, there are some great educators out there today. Sure. But your ability, and, and let me start with Ask David Bergman, which runs on Adorama TV on YouTube. Used to be called something else. Now it's Ask, Ask David Bergman. It used to be Two Minute Tips. Was that it? Two Minute Tips with David Bergman. Yeah. Okay. Ask David Bergman, I believe, is the best free resource for photography education that there is. Wow. It is a series of shows where in five to 15 minutes, you will almost inevitably per episode go, wait, what? <gasps> right? You you still enjoy doing that, I'm assuming? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's funny because I, I never thought of myself that way when I was younger. I mean, I had always done, I mean, I'm a working photographer. That's my, that's my primary gig. That's what I love to do. Um, you know, I love to be out on the road taking pictures, but, um, I always found that I was good. I remember even in school as a kid, I, I would take, you know, I was an okay student, but I was taking hard classes and I remember, you know, I was an average student, but I remember taking hard classes and I could usually, understand what the teacher was saying and then explain it to the kid next to me who had no idea what was going on. Right. So that sort of, and, and I, I, I look at what I do today and it's kind of the same thing. I really, I, I try to take sometimes very simple things, but other times very complicated uh, topics and break it down to, okay, why is this important? Like really let's get down to it. Why do you need to know this? Do you need to know the mathematic formula or do you need to understand how it works? You know? So I'm not, I'm a geek, but I don't, but I try not to convey that in my, you know, when I teach, I want to break it down and make it easily digestible and practical, right? And how, okay, what does this mean? How do I use that? You know, the, the, the inverse square law, like I can tell you the formula, but who cares, right? It doesn't matter. What does it mean right. and how do you use it? And so that's always, I still do that today. I, I think very carefully when I'm putting together my videos and my workshops about, you know, what's really the information that people need so they understand why things work, but not overburdened with too much information that doesn't help you and just kind of gets in the way. See, it's it's interesting what you just said, because the inverse square law. So I taught for a lot of years for a private IT company, a company called Executrain at the time that taught Fortune 500 type IT employees and and regular employees, everything from Microsoft Office to Microsoft Certified Engineer courses. And I would argue that knowing the formula for the inverse square law for the average person is actually a burden and an obstacle. It's better to understand conceptually what it means. 
I, when I first started teaching these IT courses, and, and at one point I started teaching the Microsoft certification courses, and I remember looking at the boss, my, the first MCSE course I was going to teach, and I was scared to death. He goes, what's wrong? I said, these people have real jobs, right? They're <laughs> in an IT server room. They have actual real issues and real problems, and I'm in here trying to teach them. And he looked at me and he said, but you know the manual. <laughs> and yeah. And they don't because they've seen the synopsis of the manual and they're coming because they don't know it. And right. what was interesting was once I got over that hurdle, I realized what I understood. And it was the way I originally got my MCSE back on Windows NT 351. Um, the, what I realized was understanding something conceptually made it so where made it to where an IT manager of 20 years could come into one of my classes and say to me, here's the problem I'm having, right? Or I'm trying to do application development Excel in Excel with Visual Basic, and here's the three pages I've gotten. It's still not doing what I want. I could look at that conceptually, having never stepped in their server room. And I, th that was a real example. A guy came to me with three pages of code, and I changed it to 11 lines of code. <laughs> there you go. That's Concepts matter. Right. It really, yeah. honestly, understanding the helicopter view at times can be can be more beneficial, which to me brings us to shoot from the pit, because, again, and I've said this online when I was talking about having taken your shoot from the pit in Las Vegas uh, just this past December. And people said to me, you've been shooting music for 15 years. Why would you go take a live music workshop? The reason is really simple. A. David Bergman has experience I will, at this point in my life, never get. Uh, David Bergman's a great instructor. Uh, I've shot entire shows and had all access. It wasn't about that at all. If I, if I can't sit and learn something from anybody, whether I shoot it or not, then I should stop doing what I'm doing is A. B, it was really interesting that there were certain things you taught during Shoot from the Pit that I would go, oh man, why did I never think of that? And I'd learn it. And there were other things that were just, okay, the way I'm doing it, other people are doing too. Not even just David Berg. Now I at least know other people are doing it like me. And there were those moments where I totally get what he's saying. I prefer my method. All of those three variables were valuable to me. But the experience that you give during Shoot from the Pit doesn't exist to me other than shoot from the pit explain yeah. shoot from the pit to people yeah um, um just real quick about teaching one more thing i was thinking of as you were saying that is that it's really been interesting to me to as i've done more because i've always done a lot of speaking gigs and i've done workshops over the years but i've really done more of them in the last three four five years than ever in my in my history and while also still being a working you know shooting photographer but to take things that some of us do naturally or we've just been doing a certain way for a long time and think about why do I do it that way? Why does it work? You know, why does that thing work? I have a whole thing. I talk about um, subject placement in the frame where you decide to put your subject in the frame, the left looking out or the right looking in or where, you know, wherever you put them makes a difference in the subliminal feel of the photograph. Yep. And it's not something I had ever really compared, you know, before I was teaching this particular workshop. And I, I went back and I looked and I looked at images and not a lot of my own work. And I said, why did I do it that way? And what, if I had done it this way, how, you know, and to break it down, to be able to explain it to somebody who maybe doesn't do it naturally. Um, 
is a challenge. And I, you know, I think I've, I've, I've gotten pretty good at it over the years. And I think that's part of what it is. Um, well, but and, and let me, let me just interject on that. Your, your, your example is perfect. And that is they may be on the far frame, right, looking into the middle, giving them what they call nose room. That is a completely different tension feel than if they're on the far right with nothing to the left, but they're looking out of the frame. Those yep. little things, understanding those little things, my, my ex-brother-in-law, late brother-in-law, Robin Seymour, was very, very famous in Detroit. He started most of the Motown acts on his local television show mm -hmm. at the time. And he was friends with, uh, it, the way he told the story, and I have no way of knowing if it's true or not, but he was friends with Casey Kasem. He was friends with a lot of people. All the Motown acts, Ted Nugent, everybody Yeah, you know, that type of thing. Well, he was friends with Casey, and he asked Casey one time how he did voiceovers that made it sound so fresh. And the response, and again, this is the way it was described to me, was, I imagine I've never seen the subject or the, the product before. Shoes, oh my God. No more stub toes, no blisters off hot cement. Just look at something as though you've never seen it before. And to me, that's the same with what you just described on composition. Yeah. If you can back up and look at a framing as though it's not something you've seen every day of your life, it opens up huge possibilities. Anyway, you were you were yeah. saying, go ahead. Shoot, yeah, well, no, so back. you had asked me about the workshops. Yeah, so, so what had happened was a lot of my uh, associates over the years, photographers I know, friends of mine, we're doing workshops and, and I, what I'm a fan of are, are more experiential workshops, right? Where, you know, I mean, yes, I watch a lot of YouTube videos like the rest of us, but to actually be in an environment and, and to learn that way and then actually shoot the thing that you're learning about is a whole different level of, of learning, of education. So, for example, there are sports photo workshops where you can go and learn how to shoot football and then you get to shoot maybe a college, you know, uh, level football game. And then you learn how to shoot. Maybe there are there are fashion photographers who you go out and you spend a week, you know, on a, in a vineyard somewhere and they bring in beautiful models and you learn how to do that and you get to photograph them. So what I do, you know, I've been a concert photographer for a long time. Every week I get emails from people saying, how do I get to do what you do? And a lot of times I say that eh, you really, you can't, like there are very few avenues to be able to shoot right. concerts. Um, and so very few of us get that, get that, uh, that enjoyment of doing that. So, um, so I always thought, man, it would be great if I could do one of these workshops, but it's a huge challenge, right? Because you need sort of the perfect storm of things. You need somebody, you know, a, a photographer who's in that world. You need somebody who can educate, who's a good, uh, you know, uh, a speaker and educator. And then most importantly, you need the band that will grant the access. You know, they have to trust that photographer enough to allow them to bring in a handful of photographers they don't know, amateurs in most cases, and allow them access to shoot that, you know, to get access to shoot a concert is very, very difficult. Even as a working press photographer, if you're working the for the gatekeepers are paper, real. They are real in this business, especially I would say sports is almost a little easier because there are a lot more sports photographers. Um, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot more space on the sidelines. There are a lot more people shooting sports. The games, each game is, is important because each game is a new story onto its own. A concert, you might have a concert tour. They might, we might do a hundred shows all year and they're all similar. They're all different in their own way, but they're all similar. You don't need necessarily everyone to be documented the way you do a sporting event. So there are very few people who really get to shoot concerts that often. So, you know, I came up with this idea and, and I'll be honest with you. I pitched a lot of artists, anybody I'd ever worked with, anybody I've known, you know, managers, labels, publicists, you know, bands themselves, whoever I Pets. could get to. 
Right. Exactly. Over the course of years and years, you know, and then finally I got to uh, my friend, Chris Cappy, who, who manages Luke Combs. Luke was just, you know, becoming a name. He wasn't really as big as he is now. This was, uh, I approached him in 2018 and Cappy to his credit said, this sounds cool. Let's try it. You know? And uh, I, you know, I jumped in with every ounce of my being and I started that tour in 2019 doing workshops at every show. And basically for people who don't know what it is, you come out, I can bring five or six photographers out um, and you spend the day with me backstage at the arena and I teach a workshop. I, you know, it's, I've got slideshows and, you know, projectors and the whole thing. And it's a real deal workshop. You're there. You're not there to like hang out with Luke Combs. It's not a, a backstage experience. You're not even going to see a, him except when he's on stage. In fact, you're not going to start him. at like two 30 and do almost four hours of yeah. slideshow and then a tour of the pit and the arena yeah. that you're in that night, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And the tour of the pit is not just like, Ooh, look at how fun this is. It's we're scouting. We're actually planning for that night. Uh, I'm going over, you know, since I've done it before, I can give you tips on like where the good places are to shoot. And I give you very good access. You've got pretty much all access other than being on the stage itself. You've got pretty much all access to go anywhere you want during the show that night. So at the end of this, four-hour workshop, then it the culmination is you get to sh- put it, all that stuff into practice and actually get to shoot the show. And and you get, you know, so far with Luke, he's been amazingly generous. His management and his whole team have been so amazing to allow me to do this and to allow my attendees to do this. And you shoot the whole show, you know, and yep. so far also all the openers have let us photograph them. So there's two opening acts and then Luke and it's a fun evening. It's a very high energy evening. It's, um, you know, the adrenaline is flowing. My favorite part of the night is at the end of the d- end of the night when the show is over and everybody comes into the room and they go, oh, my God, that was incredible. You know, like that's and people's mind are just blown. For me, you know, I've I've done this for so long that I think earlier in my career, I don't know that I would have been able to do it because I'm giving away all my secrets. I mean, I'm, right. I'm any, anything that I know, I'm going to tell you, like, I have no problem. I want you to be successful. I want everybody at that show to make great pictures. Uh, that's good for me also, because I want Luke and I want the fans and everybody to see these great pictures on everybody's, you know, social media. So I want you to be successful. So I'm going to do anything I can to help you make great pictures. And I think earlier in my career, I might've been a little more, I don't know, uh, secretive is not the word. Cause I've, I've never been that person reserved but, yeah, a little more reserved. Cause you kind of feel like, you know, you get nervous. Oh, uh, you know, everybody's going to be able to do what I do at this point in my career. You know, if, if a client is going to fire me and hire somebody that I taught just because they can shoot as well as I can, or, you know, maybe they're a little cheaper or whatever, then that's not a client I wanted to work for in the first place. So I think I've developed a level of trust and respect with my clients and, um, that hopefully, you know, the good ones are going to keep me around and, and, uh, and keep hiring me. So, so I don't worry about it too much. And like I said, I want the next generation of photographers to be successful and to do things the right way. You know, everybody can call themselves a photographer now. And, you know, I want to really try to help, everybody become better and raise, you know, rising tide raises all ships. So that's, that's really what it's all about for me. Well, and what's interesting is you do share everything. And I have, having shot music before I did research before I went to your workshop, most of the attendees may not have, but being in the round, there's this opening sequence, which is what we're going to talk about with your shot today. 
there's this opening sequence that I knew was going to happen, but I have no idea where it's going to happen. And of course, I don't have access to the stage or the stairs that you do. And so you had mentioned a couple of things and I thought, you know, I'm going to go up in the stands and I've got like five minutes till he hits the stage and I go over to the aisle that I know I want to go up and there's a barricade in front of it. I'm like, okay, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> Look at security. I said, I need to be in that aisle right there. There's some empty seats I can sit in. How do I get there? Well, if you go down here, turn right, then make a left, there's an elevator. I'm like, oh my God. Okay, cool. So I go over, I take <laughs> the, the elevator. Chicken. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I come out in the Jack Daniels lounge, which is perfect because that's my drink is Jack Daniels on the rocks. <laughs> I come out. I'm nowhere near it at this point. I level two, I'm running down, you know, lightly jogging. So I don't look like I stand out, <laughs> run down the aisle, get there. And I'm going to show one of the shots that I took because David is in the shot. So I'm going to show you that coming up in just a second, but that kind of info really, really helped. And I also, during this workshop learned about the, the, what do you call it? The David, it's, it's the David Bergman button. What is so it? The Bergman brightness button. Bergman bright, brightness button. <laughs> yes. You learn about the Bergman I mean brightness button if you take the workshop. So really quick. <laughs> I can't wait, man. This is going to be so fun. Before we get into the image, just a reminder for everybody that this podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts in video or audio only. That is assuming that your podcast outlet supports video like Apple Podcasts supports video. You can get a video feed or you can subscribe to an audio feed in either one of those or even better yet, both please leave a star rating and a review. It really does help with discoverability. And of course, the video is also available on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube and if you like what you're seeing, it does also help if you hit the subscribe button. And uh, just as important, hit the like button, leave any comments, questions that you have. I also wanna thank my friends over at DVE Store for the high def video. Visit dvestore.com for all your digital video equipment needs. And last but not least, I mentioned that I teach workshops. My workshop is a little bit different than David's in that it is a remote workshop that I do for Princeton Photo Workshop and or Princeton Photo Workshops. It's at PrincetonPhotoWorkshopSingular.com. It is based on my live music and my fight photography, but it does cover a little bit of everything action-wise. Uh, but again, it is nothing like what you're going to get at Shoot From The Pit. It's two completely different workshops. So go look at mine, consider it. They have gift shops, uh, gift, gift certificates, by the way. But I highly recommend having taken it that you do shoot from the pit as well. And that gets us into the shot today, which is Luke Combs. And correct me if I'm wrong, this image was Salt Lake City? This is Salt Lake City. This was the last night of our recent tour, uh, December 2021. Okay, so let me do a little setup here. First of all, you'll notice there are little speckles all around Luke. And I mentioned a little while ago that my research had already kind of indicated that Luke starts a show by kicking, he has a cup of Jack and Diet Coke, which as a Jack Daniels on the rock drinker and I'm addicted to Diet Coke, um, <laughs> literally, uh, this is such a waste of both in many ways. However, <laughs> he comes out with a, a cup of Jack and Diet Coke and he punts it, like he drops it and he punts this cup of Jack and Diet Coke so beautifully uh, it is amazing to watch this thing spray everywhere. This is the sequence I was talking about, I knew about, but David kind of gave me an idea during the workshop where it was going to happen, etc. Let's cover 
some technical stuff first because I find this interesting. You so shoot first, with, I, I do have to correct you real quick because he does not. They don't. They change the set list every night, and this is at the beginning of one particular song. He oh. did, they do not always start with that song, so this does okay. not happen every night. This probably only happened at the beginning of the set. If we did, I think there were twenty eight shows or something in the fall tour, give or take. Um, this probably only happened at the beginning of the set, maybe you know eight or ten times. Oh, so it didn't even happen. It wasn't even something that happened every night. Sometimes he would do it at the beginning of that song if it was later in the set list, but then you don't know where he's going to be on stage. So anyway, let's get let's It's get scary how accurate he is. I would have missed the damn cup. And I do martial <laughs> yeah. arts. I would have missed the damn he's, cup. He's so quite athletic. He's deceptively this is athletic. 2,000th of a second, F4, yep. 6,400 ISO, 24 millimeters, auto white balance. You shot this on an R3 with an RF 24 to 105 F4. Is that that all sound right? That sounds correct, yeah. Okay. So I want to start here for the audio audience, and then we've got a lot we're going to go through. This, this episode is going to be long. I probably should have done it as a part one and part two, but I'm going to try and get through it as quick as I can here. For the audio audience, though, I want you to understand what we're looking at here. First of all, picture a concert shot, right? So, and it, we're talking arena concert shot. You can see the stage lit up by spotlights. You can see tiered seating with a, a center row of, you know, like when you go to an arena, they have a center LED bar that puts ads up. You can kind of see the division in the layers of the arena with this landscape orientation shot. Luke Combs is on stage. And what I love is his name is on the stage under him. So if you looked at this and you didn't know who it was, now you know who it was. It's got his branding, which is so key in the photo. You could have shot this at the wrong angle or cropped it differently, not gotten that. By his feet, we've got paper on the ground, set lists, right? Behind him, that arena that you see tearing up all the seats, what's awesome is they are lit, which matters as well. Blackness behind him would be awesome but they're lit behind him. That makes it even better. We were talking about framing. He is to the right side towards the rule of third facing to the left. He's got room to kick into and his back is almost on the rule of third and behind him, there is a spotlight, but it's not so clear that it takes attention away. It's the halo of a spotlight, which is awesome. His foot, he looks like a punter in, in the NFL. His foot is higher than his head his right foot, leg fully extended straight. He's limber, clearly. His left foot, he's on his toes. He's doing this in cowboy boots, for God's sake. <laughs> his left hand is over his head, which is absolutely key because, and by the way, his left hand has the mic in it. Uh, his face is clearly visible. That matters so much. This is the absolute definition of an action shot. There's just no question about it. This is ever this is punting in the NFL or being on stage with Luke Combs. It's the same thing. And what's interesting is this is Salt Lake City, but in Las Vegas, this is the shot, the moment that I went up in the stands and I posted a couple of them on on Instagram. The one I'm going to show isn't my favorite, but in the one that's my favorite, when his foot goes up and everything's up in the air and he came off the ground in my shot. It blocks David's face and David's face is purely black. You can't see it. So I chose a different image to show you. This is the kick of the cup. And if you look right there. <laughs> the telestrator. 
That is David Bergman. Here's a close-up of him. I've kind of lightened it a little bit just so that you can kind of see. But that's David Bergman. And I didn't realize this until I was talking to you. What else is in this frame? Yeah, so down at the bottom right there, that is also my remote camera. Um, the thing that's being lit there from the, the the light coming from the stage is a sandbag that I actually put on it. I use a floor plate with a ball head, and I have another camera, and that camera sits there all night long. I move it around uh, each night I'll put it somewhere different. I usually set up two remotes, one overhead and one I'll put on the stage. But that night I just chose that corner partially because I knew I wanted that kick and I figured having two different angles of it would give me some more options. Um, so that camera's there all night and I can trigger that remotely from wherever I am in that arena. If I think something's going on in that corner, I can just hit that remote. And, you know, remotes are such a crapshoot, but if you get one great picture from it, right then you're good. That's all that matters. And and it's on a platypod. People that make platypod are, are good friends of mine. So yep. tell us, tell us the story behind this. Cause it's, it's a bit of a story. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said before, he doesn't do this every night. I mean, it's not always at the beginning of the show. And as you've mentioned, this stage is, we call it a 360 stage because it's not technically round, it's a square, but uh, it is in the middle of the stage and they sell the seats 360 degrees all the way around. So a normal end stage at an arena is, is either, you know, is usually a 270 or maybe even a 180. In this case, it's 360. So the arena is packed with people and the stage is in the middle. That does add some challenges to shooting it because as you've said, you don't know where things are going to happen. Luke is constantly moving around. And um, so this is, I know where he, he always starts the show in the same corner, at least for the very first, you know, two seconds of the show. I know what the stairway he's going to come up and I know he's going to start in that corner. So because at the beginning of this song, I saw on the set list a number of times throughout the course of this tour. And I really wanted to make this picture or some kind of picture of this sequence. And it's a challenge because again, you know, there are so many things that can go wrong. Um, the biggest thing with this particular um, moment is that the last three or four times it happened, I really was determined. I mean, I had kind of thought about it earlier, but then I, I got to get this picture before, you know, I was seeing um, the videos of it and it just looked so great. And so I put myself in position to make the picture a couple of times. And honestly, the lighting was never quite there because this song starts with a drum fill. And usually the lights are out, right? Because it's the very beginning of the show of Luke's set at least. Right. And the lights are out. And on the drum fill, the lights are flashing. And then he kicks that cup. He sort of does a running, he gets a little running start and kicks it. And the lights are still usually flashing. So every time I've shot it, every single frame was different light. Either he was way under or a couple frames were lit. And I never got really the perfect frame. So- Here's an advantage that I have that most people don't. I work on the tour. I'm one of the crew on this tour. So the night in Las Vegas, I had actually gone to our, when you were out there, I had gone to our lighting people and I said, hey, we got two shows left. I don't know if he's going to do this both nights, but whenever this is going to happen, help me out here. <laughs> you know, can you just get those lights up a half a second earlier? Because they were coming up sort of on the downbeat, which is sort of right after that kick. And so they said, oh, we'll do it. We'll help you out, brother. You know, I mean, they're good people on this tour. So they said they would do what they could. And the night in Las Vegas, I mean, your picture, I haven't seen the raw file on your picture, but I'm guessing it's a little underexposed, which with raw well, is not too and bad. And that's interesting you say that because part of the reason I said I posted one I really liked where Luke, he he came off the freaking ground. He is not <laughs> a, he is not 
a spring chicken or or a small guy, he is off the freaking ground. And I yeah. love the shot, but the one I have here, you can still see the cup, but it was dark. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I had numerous times tried to make this picture and the light was just never there. Either the his hand was blocking his face or the cup was not in the right spot or the light wasn't there. This, you know, there's it's you need a perfect storm of things to all come right. together. So that night in Vegas, I was close and I had a couple of good frames of it and I just I I wanted to do it one more time. And so thankfully, I didn't expect this, but he did that song at the beginning of both of those last two shows. This was mid-December. We had two back-to-back shows in Vegas and Salt Lake City. And the next night in Salt Lake City, you know, I went to them again and I was like, you're going to help me out again, right? They said, yeah, 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 we'll do it. And sure enough, they turned the light on like super early. And I think they weren't, I'd have to see the video, but I don't even think they were flashing them. They just brought them up and it was, and the whole sequence is lit. And I was like, and so finally I got a whole sequence of it and was able to pick what I thought was the best frame from that sequence. Well, and, and. Just this is such an amazing shot on so many levels. We'll go into the timing and, and the lighting here in just a second. But you sent me some shots. Should we go through those now? Yeah, sure. And you so can you can kind sequence. of explain the sequence that now, you've got here. Now, one so, thing to note. One thing to note. This is actually the first week. Uh, it was the second week in my career that I was shooting all mirrorless because I've been using the Canon 1DX Mark III's right. for quite a while. I love those cameras. Nothing wrong with those cameras. Amazing, you know, technology. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously I think the industry is moving towards mirrorless and that's really where it's all going. I have, uh, I had at the time one R5, which is a great camera, but when I shoot my handheld cameras, the two that hang from my shoulders during the show, I need them to be the same body. Because I just, I'm such a creature of habit. When I pick up a body, I'm going to shoot as fast as I possibly can. And so if they're two different bodies, the buttons are in different places. They feel different. There's just too many differences. And that drives me nuts. So I only had the one R5. So I didn't want to shoot. So I would use that as a remote, which is what that camera is in that picture. That's my R5. Um, Probably with the 15 to 35 um, lens on it, the RF lens. And then, um, so finally... Sometime in December, I got um, the, the R3. I got the can- the new R3. And then I only had one at first, and then I finally got a second one. So once I had two R3 bodies, then I could officially, my two handhelds, I could shoot both of those because they're the same body. So here's the thing. With, with, those, with that camera, you can shoot. And I was shooting mechanical shutter because that's what I'm used to. I like seeing – I like feeling the camera shoot. You know, I like feeling that – just a little bit of jolt that you get from that motion. I need that. I like that tactile. Plus response. the rolling shutter issue that you would have at, at with action on a, on an electronic shutter with those older bodies. Right now the R five it's it's pretty much eliminated. Um, the R three it's even better, which is it's amazing how fast the it's that has to do with the speed of the readout on the off the sensor. But yes, that's gotten better and better. And so uh, so finally, you know, that week shooting with two R three bodies. I was able to, I didn't shoot the whole show this way, but at least for that kick, I knew I wanted as many frames as possible so that I, of that sequence. So I switched it over to the electronic shutter and shot at 30 frames a second, which is insane. And again, it's, it's silent, right? It's silent. So you don't, there's no tactile response. You just see the little bar, you know, kind of flashing, but you don't feel like you're shooting 30 frames a second, you know, cause you can't, 
there's just no, like I said, there's no tactile response there. So uh, I flipped it over. I wouldn't shoot 30 frames a second all night long. I shoot 12, which I have no problem shooting 12 frames a second. But 30 is just too many for a normal, a normal concert. For sports, though, for action, for a moment like this with that kick, I knew I wanted to shoot 30. So the, both the remote, I changed the remote to shoot as fast as it could. That camera, I think it goes up to 20, I believe. And then the R3, um, I went to 30 frames a second. So this sequence is pretty close. If it's not exactly 30 frames a second, it's pretty close. Um, remember now, it's also focusing at the same time. So it's going to be a little slower than 30, but because that you know, I have the face detection on. So that way I know every frame is going to be sharp on his face. Well, and and it is, it's almost like watching a video. So yeah. this is where it starts, cup in the air. He moves so notice forward. now the light is the light is all up at this point. Nor normally the light is still it's still dark at this point, and then it sort of flashes and comes up. But at this point, the, you know our lighting crew, which is so nice to me to do for me to do, you know to do this, um, they the light is on right. It's on really early. <laughs> well, and what I love is me. <laughs> let me let me actually back up to the start. What I love here is you can see the two spotlights. Yeah. And one of those spotlights is what I was talking about is behind his back. But you don't if you just saw the bright blown out spotlight half peeking out from behind his back, it would hurt the image here. It's just the glow. So this is the sequence as he runs up. This is so amazing. I would miss this cut. And right. <laughs> yeah, even that right there. I actually love yeah. the starburst on the spotlight, his hands, the action. I, I love it. I'm also up. shooting, by the way, manual exposure because I don't want those spotlights to screw up my exposure. And this is one thing I, you know, I teach in the workshop right. is you have to shoot manual because otherwise if that, that spotlight hitting right into my sensor, right into my camera lens, that's going to screw up my exposure. The camera's going to see that and go, whoa, this is way too bright. And it's going to try to darken things down, but well, I'm exposed it, for his face. That's all I care about. I want it to be consistent all the way through and not have the exposure jumping around. And I know people who say, oh, I shoot manual, but I use auto ISO. Well, auto yeah, ISO. That's would, not manual. Would, uh, yeah. Uh, yes. That's yeah, <laughs> that's not manual. Yes, it's people, not manual. People say that to me and all the time. You you can set limits on auto ISO, which yes. is nice. But at the same time, if any of those three, you know, exposure triangle settings, if the camera is picking any one of those three, yeah. it's choosing how bright or how dark the image should be. It's deciding how bright or how dark it should be. And it does a good job, you know, nine times out of 10. It's very, they're very smart now. A lot of them have face detection, exposure modes, which is amazing. But if it's nine out of 10 and you shoot a thousand frames, that's a hundred frames that are not going to be exposed properly. Why? Well, you know, I'd rather I screw it up than let than have the camera do it. It would have bit it. It would have bit you here too. So he comes totally. up, watch this drop. This is so <laughs> awesome. He, I mean, he's running, right? He comes up, leans back. I mean, he is now in position to just belt. This, this is thing. a punter. This is an NFL punter. That's exactly this is what a punt. it looks like there. With yeah. a mic in his hand. Let's let a punter mic, try yeah. that. Yeah. Comes up, that cup is floating there. You can already see liquid coming out of the top. By the way, those of you on That's audio, gravity. I will I will stick these images in the blog post as well so that you can see them. Uh, coming up, boom, connection. Right there, you can kind of see the face, but now that's an awesome shot because you've still got the cup, except? No face. No so face. This, pic this picture, I was a little disappointed because this picture would have been my shot. I mean, this, because you like seeing, you know, in football with a punt, you have to see the ball. I mean, you just, it's not really much of a picture without the ball in it. Here, seeing the cup and sort of the, the direction of the spray 
and like, you know, you've got that whole trail. It's really a nice frame. And I debated long and hard, uh, is this the picture? But then I realized, you know what? There's no face and you've just got to have the face. His arm is blocking his face. It's just bad luck. There's nothing you can do about it. This is why you shoot no. a lot of frames. You want to give yourself options. Um, and you just don't know. You don't know exactly where that arm's going to be at that moment. And in this case, that's what happened. This this is the jump where they jump facing the wrong way. Had that arm yeah. been up, though, had that arm been there, oh, man, just. Yeah. Um, and then as it yeah. as both go up, there's the halo of the spotlight, which is awesome because it gives you a little added separation. You can read the Luke Combs. You can see the spray. His his foot is so high. It's insane. And then here he comes. I got to be honest, if the hand was still in, that's actually a kind of a cool shot too with the starburst. And then as he comes back down, that's actually a pretty cool shot right there. Ooh, I love that with the starburst over the arm, actually. Uh, so that's so the I sequence had, of shots. For, from some other shows, I had used pictures of after the legs came down and he was standing there. And one of the things I love about this frame, well, there's a couple things, but you know, yes, you can see his face, but also the extension of his leg is much higher than it is in the shot with the cup in it. So I thought that was cool. I mean, again, he is deceptively athletic. I mean, he is quite limber and uh, he played, uh, I think he played football in college. So he certainly is, it can hold his own. And so I like the height of the leg, the extension. And my favorite part of all this is, you know, you talk about that backlight. Well, that's what lights up all of that spray, all of that water, right. all those droplets of water that's kind of our everywhere. And even the way I compose this, I, you know, I thought about moving him more to the right and making it a little bit more traditional rule of thirds. He's kind of cent almost centered in this one, but there was so much spray both in front and behind him that I thought it was better to see all of that spray and not cut all of the spray out from behind him. So well, that's kind of why I chose to put him more in the center there as, you know, instead of further to the right. Normally I would, I would lean towards putting him more to the right, but I just loved all that spray and that's all lit because it's against a darkish background with backlight. When you shoot a sporting event in the rain, it's only going to in daylight, it doesn't have the same impact as it, it does at night when the background is dark and those stadium lights are hitting from behind and really rim lighting each one of those little drops. And that's what makes them pop off against that black background. That's why when you see wedding photographers photograph a, a bride and groom under an umbrella in the rain, yep. there is always a flash going off. It's on the ground often behind their legs so that you don't see it and it's popping off so that you can see the spray. But here's what's interesting yep. is I would argue here that there you could debate, is Luke the subject? The subject is the spray in many yeah. that, Well, strike that. Luke is the subject. The story is the spray. There you so go. That's better. You, you yeah. equally need both of these. Timing is key. The lighting is out of your control. But the fact that you kept that white blob from showing up half sticking out of his back like half of a moon. Let me ask you this. When you're looking through the lens during this, you'd obviously shot it a bunch of times. So you kind of knew what you wanted. But. When you're looking through the lens for this, how aware are you of that spotlight as he's moving? You're just following him. Are you are are you really aware of trying to keep it in a good spot or the the audience in a good spot? I mean, this particular shot, you know, when it's something a fast sequence like this, I could I could BS you and say, oh yeah, you're absolutely watching that and play, moving left and right and trying. No, it's impossible. At a, with a shot like this, this is a, a second and a half of fast action. I'm just trying to keep it sharp and keep him in the frame. That is actually the full frame, 
right? So I barely have his foot and his hand in there without cutting it off. So I'm that just all I'm concentrating on at 24 millimeters. That's as wide as I could get. And I'm just trying to keep him in the frame and keep him in focus, right? That's really all I'm looking at and trying to get that sequence. So no, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I, that's what I'm watching. However, 99% of the time I am looking at things like that with things that are a little bit slower, you know, when you're shooting more traditional concert photography, I'm always looking at the spotlight and moving left and right to try to put it exactly where I want it. Absolutely. But in a moment like this, it's impossible. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying to you because it's, so, you can't, it's too fast. When, when I was up high and I didn't have my 150 to 600 that day, I only had a 200. So I put it on my R5, which is higher res to give me cropping space. And that's how I accidentally got you in the shot because I had to crop in from the 200 because I was really far away, right? Yeah. This is almost not cropped except you're not cropping in to really change the framing. You're fine tuning the framing because this was almost full. So then the question is why the 24 to 105? Why didn't you shoot with a 16 to 35 or something? Yeah, good, good question. I mean, honestly, it's just a practical issue. Um, the 15 to 35 is on my remote that's right next to me. Um, and I shoot most of the, I shoot the rest of the show with that 24 to 105. So honestly, it was just for convenience. It was the lens okay. I had on me. I guess I could have switched to an EF wider lens. Um, but I knew I had shot it before and I knew I could keep him in the frame. You know, I, I wasn't, it wasn't at the top of my mind about, but when I, when you're shooting it, that's certainly something you're watching, right? It's absolutely don't let him get out of the frame, but something like a stray hand or a stray foot, you know, it's almost impossible to watch that with the speed of something like this happening. There's no way to watch it. And, and I've had those moments where I am perfectly framed. I'm like, this is going to be right out of camera. And then a vocalist or somebody does something and it's like, I just lost their hand <laughs> yeah, uh, because I was shooting so tight because I wanted to try and quote unquote, be pure and get it in camera. And, yeah. and just in an instant, they threw their hand up and I'm like, oh, okay, I just missed that. And it, and it was like the perfect facial expression. So yeah. you were on the original advisory board with Apple for Aperture. But nowadays you are a Capture One user. With an image like this, we know that you barely cropped it just for slight artistic adjustments. What would you have done in post to a shot like this? Yeah, so with my post-processing, people are always somewhat disappointed when they ask me about post because with concert photography, if you shoot it right, if you expose it properly, it's really not that much to do. Usually it's a little bit of a crop, maybe a brightness boost. I might've pushed the brightness of quarter of a stop or a half a stop, something like that. Um, I think this image I actually added, and I don't normally do this, but I probably added a little bit of clarity because, you know, definition, because to let those water drops pop, pop off the frame just a little bit more, but not a lot, nothing that's noticeable. I don't, I usually don't touch that at all, but in this case, just to make those uh, really stand out against that dark background, I think I may have done that just a tad, but it's not enough that you can even see it on him, right? Because I don't like clarity on people. Um, I think it just gets too weird looking. It's not natural. That sort of faux HDR effect, I'm not a fan of. So um, so my images, generally that's 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 pretty much all I'll do. A little crop, a little brightness. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a vignette fan. I'll put a tiny little bit of a vignette just to push your eye back into the middle of the frame a little bit. Um, and that's really it. If I have to spend you know, five minutes on a photograph, I'm usually going to chuck it because something's poorly, you know, poorly done unless it's, you know, a Pulitzer prize winning, you know, Theismann snapping his leg in half or something like that. But um, do you, you know, do you ever have that shot that just by lighting, like you were framed right and everything, but the lighting director dropped it 
it wasn't far off. I mean, we've got a lot of dynamic range latitude in these bodies nowadays. And I've got shots where they're, you know, I was exposed. The lighting just changed. I'm not chasing the lighting as it were, because if you're chasing the lighting, you're always behind the lighting anyway. Uh, yeah. And suddenly I've got a frame that might be a stop underexposed. Yeah. I don't worry about that generally, except at 6,400, you're boosting the noise too. But in general, I have no problem boosting a shot half a stop or a stop if I need it. Do you do you never touch those images? No, absolutely. I will I will play with my brightness totally. Um, but it depends how much uh, – two things. First of all, it depends how much you're off, right? If it's a stop, I'm not going to worry about that too much because, yeah, these raw files now have so much dynamic range. Right. Even at 6400, these files look so good. I don't worry about it at all. You know in my workshop I have a whole rant I talk about. Oh, yes. Nobody cares about ISO noise. You know, nobody's you ever so looked happy. at it. You're not going to look at this picture and go, man, that's a great picture, but oh, look at the noise in the shadows. Nobody is ever going to say that. It's never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. So You don't even don't use noise about, reduction, right? I do not. No, absolutely yeah. none. So, because nobody cares. Nobody notices except the person who took the picture. That's the only person who notices. So, um, but that aside, um, I have no problem... Um, you know, moving brightness a little bit. Of course, if it's two stops or three stops under, then we're starting to really get messy, right? right. And it's not going to, the color's going to get off and it's just not going to look as good. Also, another thing that's different that will impact how much I'll do on it is who I'm working for and what I'm doing. Luke's show, I shoot it every night. I've shot probably a hundred, you know, Luke concerts over the last few years, maybe, maybe more. And, you know, if I don't get that picture tonight, I have tomorrow night and I can try it again. So I try not to stress too much about it. If it's not, you know, as, as well done as I can do it, unless, like I said, it's that once in a lifetime Pulitzer prize winning picture. Other than that, I'm going to, you know, trash it and move on. Um, you know, if it's well, something like that, this that kick, can't be, that know. can't be overstated. What, what, normally I get three from the pit and that's it, right? Three right. from the pit, no flash. And in that case, sometimes it's like, I may not see these artists again for another year and then next year they only do the East coast or whatever the case is. So yeah, that, that Look, definitely when I was, matters. you know, shooting for sports illustrated or even, you know, the Miami Herald or anybody where you're shooting an event, that's a one-time event, you know, the, the, the gold medalist crossing the finish line. If you're a little bit under, you got to do what you got to do to fix right. that picture. So right. with, with obviously something in most cases, I'm going to do that, but somebody like me who, you know, I'm on the tour, I'm shooting it every night. You know, I want, I, I know I'm going to have a good batch of images every single night. You know, I'm going to try to push myself because also I, there's also what I deliver to the client. And then there's what I post on my Instagram, you know, cause I, I will only post something on my Instagram that I'm really, really proud of. I also deliver a whole bunch of clients to the, a whole bunch of images to the client. So they have a number of images to choose from every night. So they're not going to notice if they're missing, you know, that kick picture from tonight, if they get it tomorrow night. So it really doesn't make that much of a difference, but I'm going to hold out. I had the, the kick picture the night you were there in Vegas, but it was a little bit underexposed. And I thought, you know what? I've got one more night to try it. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And if it's, if it's not as good, I might've posted the Vegas one, but I made a, you know, the light was better. And so I got it done and that's what I went with. Oh, you, yeah. I mean, just look at that. I mean, <laughs> even it's your shot, but even you have to sit back and go, damn. I did it. Yeah. Right. I still, so, get, I still get excited. It, it, it's easy to get, um, you know, sort of a little complacent about it when you're shooting the same thing every night. And, and, but that's, that's the job, right? That's, I put that on myself. Do people ask me a question I get a lot is people say, how do you shoot the same show every night? Like Bon Jovi, I did hundreds of Bon Jovi shows all around the world over eight or nine years. And 
to me, that's more fun because I challenge myself to make, I want to make one picture every night that I'm really happy with. You know, I'm going to have a whole bunch of pictures that are my cover your ass pictures. You have to have, you know, John Bon Jovi, you know, at the microphone looking like a rock star that he is. Right. But if I can make one different picture every night, I'm thinking of that each night when I'm out there, okay, what am I going to do differently? What's different about this venue or what's different about this show? Or, you know, there's always going to be those little moments that happen at each particular show that didn't happen the night before. So I, I pride myself and I work really hard to try to capture those moments. Um, and that's, that's fun for me because I have the, the safety, if I can call it that of knowing the people and knowing the show and, and being comfortable in the environment. But I'm also trying to push beyond because somebody like like you and, and me for many, many years, when I when you go to shoot as a regular press photographer and you, you know, you've never shot that show before. Hopefully you've done some research, which I know you do. And I always did. You try to learn as much as you can about those first three songs, but you still really don't know until you're there. And so and you get those three songs and then you're out and that's it. And you have to have all the best pictures. That's very different than when you're on the tour and you can, you know, my priorities are different because I'm going to get to do it again tomorrow night. But, but you said a good thing and that is, you said a lot of good things, but you know what I mean? (laughs) You said something that I find so pertinent. That is how I, I kind of approach things. So when I shoot from a pit, I almost always photograph the, the, the vocalist coming out or whoever the main guy in the band or girl in the band is, but almost always my first position is set for the drummer because a lot of what I shoot, the drummer is buried behind cymbals with one window of opportunity to get a face. And inevitably, sooner or later, as the show moves on through those three songs, that spot may not be available. And I want to get the cleanest shot of every artist, every member of the band. So I almost always start in the drummer position, but I photograph the entrance of the singer, vocalist, whatever. Then I grab my drummer shots. Then I vacate that spot. Because I may not be able to get that spot again if there's a small window, yeah. like like uh, White Snake was one where you you can't see the drummer unless you happen to hit that window just right. So I yeah. want to do a speed round with you. Answer these as fast and easy as you can. Uh oh. I'm going to separate action and music here. By the way, your top action photography tip. Oh gosh, um, I mean it's that Bergman brightness button that you that you talked about because you what that is in, in as short as I can put it is <laughs> I know it's so silly but it's memorable. Um, it is basically it's you know exposure changes if you're shooting something where the exposure is changing very rapidly. The whole key to making great action pictures is not thinking about your camera and paying attention to what's happening in front of you and around you. Um, because like I said, there's those little moments in every show and every event and whatever you're covering that are the best pictures. And if you're looking at your camera, if you're doing, you know, looking through your images or you're just messing with your exposure settings or what or your focus modes or your whatever it is, you're missing pictures. And you're probably going to miss the best picture. This happened to everybody. It's Murphy's Law. As soon as you look down at the camera, then you go, oops, you know, because you look up and something awesome just happened. So... The short version of that is eliminate as many variables as you can. Um, you know, I have a whole system that I talk about this, you know, my, my silly Bergman brightness, but where you eliminate two of the three exposure triangle variables. Right. So you leave it down to one. So as you, as you have to change your exposure, as the light is changing, you only have one dial to change. And, and doing that is all about not paying attention to the camera and really only paying attention to what's happening in front of you. And if you, if, if exposure is a big problem where it's something that's changing very rapidly, just having one dial to basically change your brightness, your brightness button, basically, it makes it so much easier to not be thinking about, 
oh, my ISO and my aperture and my show, you know, it, then you're missing pictures. So it's that's how you make B. those great action pictures. <laughs> the, the, the B cubed. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's interesting because playing off of that, one thing I try and do as I've gotten more experience in it is keep both eyes open, which is difficult for me. Mm -hmm. I'm so old school where I close an eye, but it bit me almost once where I was photographing a festival and there was a band at the beginning I had not heard of, uh, Hero the Hero or Hero the Hiro. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but they were amazing on stage. And I'm photographing, it was either the guitarist or the drummer. And I had my left eye closed. And suddenly I pulled the camera away and I look up and I hadn't realized that the lead singer had climbed to the top of the speaker stack and was seconds from jumping off. And I managed to turn and get a sequence of, of this singer jumping off, mic cord flying through. The, it was awesome. I got it, but I got so close to missing it. So the more you minimize distractions, the, the better it's going to be. So let's go to music then. Top music photography tip. Oh, gosh. Um, I think knowing as much as you can about the artist will help you knowing about at least about their show, you know, doing your research, right. Is there, especially if you only have three songs, right. Is there a pyro hit at the beginning, right? Maybe there's a big flash of, of pyro. And if you're not ready for that, first of all, you're going to miss the picture. Second of all, you're going to screw up your exposure, right. Cause you're never going to expose it. Right. Um, so, I mean, now we didn't have this when I was just starting out and probably the same with you, you know, now you can go on YouTube and watch, the show. You can at least watch the beginning of the show. So do your research, even if you're not a fan. It's better if you're not a fan of the artist, because a lot of these people about my workshops, they say, what if I'm not a country music fan? I say, it's better because I don't want you there paying attention to, oh my God, there's my favorite artist. I want you looking at, you know, sometimes people ask me, oh, you shot this show. What, did, what songs did they play? And I'll go, I have no idea, but the light was really harsh from the left, you know? <laughs> like So I'm paying attention to the lighting and the, and, and focus and all those, and the motions of the artists. Uh, I'm really looking at their eyes. I'm trying to, I think photographers are amateur psychologists in a way. I'm trying to look at that person and say, is he going to go to the left? Is he going to go to the right? Is he looking for his guitar player to do something or what, you know, what's happening there. And so knowing more about the artist, I think is helpful. If you just show up blind, I think it, you can make pictures, but it's going to be much harder. And it can be the simplest things like my favorite research thing that I, I try and explain to people is it, it doesn't even have to be complex. Like if I'm in a photo pit and I see, um, you know, cryo tubes where they're going to shoot up, you know, steam or they're going to do confetti or something. I can say to somebody, do you know what song this is going to be if I had to? Right. Yeah. But, you know, based on the set list changing, I may not know. But if I look at a singer, like if you watch American Idol, you'll see the amateur singers doing this with the mic. I hit my mic all the time. Pros tend to have a favorite hand. And if you know darn well that that guy always or gal holds the mic in their right hand, well, then you have to decide to yourself. I can be on this side and get face at open hand and mic and chest or guitar, or I can get the back of their hand. Just those yeah. simple things can just make it yeah. better. Okay. Yeah. Biggest mistake you almost made or did make. Oh gosh. You want me Photography. To that We're here? not talking high school. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh boy. I mean, there've been so many, I mean, it, you know, I, there's not, gosh, I don't know that there's one I can think of off the top of my head, but you know, every night there's something, you know, I mean, because okay. um, you, you just miss so many things. I, I mean, it, you know, but the thing is, again, when you edit, when you call through your pictures, nobody's going to know that, you know, so you they hide know all the that shots stuff. you show them. They only know the shots you show. So yeah, I, I, I'm sure I could come up with a few, but, but it happens all the time. It's just nobody knows about it. Favorite composition rule? 
Um, composition rule. Uh, it really is what we were talking about before about placement in the frame. It really does make a huge difference. Um, I am very conscious of that. Ideally in camera, but even if you can't do it in camera, if you can do it in post with a crop, you know, it really does. You're, you're subliminally affecting how people feel about an image, what an image feels like. If it's like you said, if the artist is on one end or whoever you're photographing is on one side and looking in, they have a place to go. They have a place where that they're looking. You can see what they're looking at. Even if it's dead space, there's something that they're looking at. If they're looking out of the frame, if they're on the edge, there's, it's so, there's such a tension there because you don't know what they're looking at. Where are they going? If they're moving, what are they, you know, what's in that direction? And it's a minor thing, but it's really a subliminal uh, psychological thing that makes a difference. And you, neither is right or wrong. You might want that. But as the, as the creative person, as the photographer, as the artist, you are making that decision. You should be consciously making that decision on how you want your image to feel and what that portrays to your viewer. That's how I feel about a Dutch angle, which is where, you know, the horizon line is tilted. And I see so many people do it because they just they didn't shoot the shot straight and there's not enough frame for them to straighten it. Look, I'm not a big fan of Dutch angles, but when used properly at the right time, Dennis Reggie's wedding shot of uh, John Jr., JF, uh, JFK's kid, John Jr. and, and uh uh, I can't think of her name yet. Uh, now, Bissette, I think it was. Yeah, um, it's just got a little bit of a... And it adds tension yeah. as they come out of tension. the chapel. Oh, my yeah. God. But other than that, straighten your horizon line. Uh, favorite... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> favorite album, song, or artist? Oh, gosh. Uh, my favorite artist, I'm a huge uh, Sting fan. Sting... Sting to me is one of those artists. You, you, you look surprised. Sting to me is one of those artists. I've seen him live probably a dozen times. And I would say every time the show is completely different. He'll take a song, you know, like Roxanne that he's play, been playing for 30 years and he'll start the intro and you don't even know what song it is. You're like, what, what is this? And as a, I was a musician, although I, I take that back, I, I, uh, Quick funny, quick funny aside. I met uh, Arturo Sandoval, famous jazz trumpet player, a million years ago. I had to do a quick picture of him for something when I was in Miami at the Herald, and I remember telling him, "Oh, I I used to be a musician. I went to the Berklee College of Music." And he stopped me and he goes, "No, no, always a musician." I was like, "Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry." So yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm I don't practice. You know, uh, I don't perform. I'm not a practicing working musician, but I I do have musical uh, ability in my in my jeans. But anyway, where was I going with that? Um, as a musician, I just have such respect for, for people like that who can, you know, take something they've been doing a long time and make it consistently improve on it or change it. And, you know, again, I think that's what we try to do as photographers. You know, I could shoot it exactly the same way every single night, but who wants that? You know, let's right. try to do something different and let's play with technology and let's do, you know, see I, I, one night at, at one of Luke's shows or a few nights, I, I brought out with me an anamorphic lens. What? There's no reason to bring an anamorphic lens to a concert. You know, it's, it's made for film. It's, it's, very wide, um, uh, you know, aspect ratio. It's it's really made for feature film work. It uh, it's manual focus. There's no autofocus on this thing. It's got the gears on it. You know, the whole thing. Um, and uh, it, but it gives you those cool light, those horizontal um, light flares, right? Those J.J. Abrams sci-fi light flares, blue light flares. And I thought it'd be cool. And so I brought it out one night, and I left it under the stage, and I pulled it out for like two or three songs. And I did it two or three nights in a row. I just did it. And I made a couple of frames that I like. And, but that's, that's 
what somebody like Sting does, where every single night he's playing around, he's doing something different, even with the tried and true music that you know and you love. Uh, I just think he's such an amazing musician and, uh, you know, seems like he'd be a good guy to uh, have a conversation with as well. You, I met him once about, very briefly. You're, but, you're talking about being an artist, literally. <laughs> there uh, you go. What is, what is your favorite drink? Uh, so I am a, you're talking alcoholic drink. I am a, whatever uh, you want. Alcohol can be I'm tea a, for all I care. I am a, I am a very, uh, simple man. I am a captain and diet drinker. That is my, that is my drink. And it's a captain Morgan rum. Very simple. I'm still like a college kid, I think, but, uh, give me a good captain and diet and I'm, I'm happy. Okay. And the final question, any photographer out there that you think more people should know about? Oh gosh. Uh, let's see. That I think more people should know about. Um, you know what? There's a, I've never met her. I don't know her in any way whatsoever, but I'm following on Instagram. Uh, she works for the New York Times. Brittany Newman, I think is her last name. And she's a journalist. And like I said, I've, I've, I've never met her. I've never talked to her, but uh, somebody uh, turned me on to her somewhere and I follow her on Instagram and her work is really good. She's got to be like 25 years old. I know she's very young, but doing work, that's very mature. Um, I still love sort of that old school photojournalism because it is so much a part of my history. Um, so when I see somebody out there who's doing, I mean, there are a lot of great photojournalists now uh, who are not well known and not as respected because I think the press and the media has gotten such a bad name over the last, uh, some of it justified, but I think there's, there are so many people on the ground both writers, you know, journalists, writers, photojournalists who are out there doing that hard work and covering the events. We see these pictures every day and nobody ever thinks about there's a person behind that camera who's in the line of fire in the middle of those riots and in the middle of all those horrible events that have been happening in the world and in the hospitals covering COVID and all this stuff who are putting their own lives on, on the line to make really storytelling, compelling images. So, um, so she's one of them. There are so many others, but, uh, but I really have a, a deep respect for that kind of work and always will. This is why I asked that question <laughs> because as much as I can't wait now to look her up and link will be in the blog post. I hope I, uh, I hope I put it, her, said her name. It's right. really, if, if you know her link, email it to me, but yeah, uh, it it, it's really that whole point of view, right? Uh, I absolutely love. And again, so that everybody knows the links will be in the blog post behind the shot.tv. They'll be on YouTube below the video, just head down below, subscribe and like, and you'll find all the links down there. But for those on the audio feed shoot from the pit, what's the, I'm going to, I'm going to name them. You tell me the addresses. Shoot, shoot from, from the, the pit.com. Pit. Very simple. Shoot from the okay. pit.com. Ask David Bergman. Uh, ask David Bergman.com. Uh, your regular website. Uh, that is davidbergman.net. That's the only one that's not a .com, unfortunately. But, uh, and then Facebook is David Bergman Photo, but Instagram and Twitter are? Just at David Bergman. Very simple. David, it is, uh, I normally aim 45 minutes to an hour. This may be the longest episode I've ever done. And <laughs> I am so grateful to you for your time, for sharing your knowledge. Uh, where else can people find you? What should they know? Uh, yeah, that's really it. The ins Instagram is probably my, the one that I use the most, um, at David Bergman and then, yeah, workshops. I do have some, uh, coming up again. Uh, the first ones this year are going to be in Canada. I'm going North of the border. Luke is playing a few shows there, so I'll be there with him. I've got some workshops coming up there may or may not be more this year in the United States. So sign up for the email list on, uh, shoot from the pit.com and you'll be the first to be notified when those 
come out. So that's I'm excited about uh, doing more of those this year. Uh, again, thank you very, very much, David. I appreciate your being here. Appreciate all your knowledge and your friendship and everything you do for the photo community. I still think Ask David Bergman is the best resource out there for photographers. If you guys want to reach out to me, uh, the website for the podcast, BehindTheShot.tv, my website, stevebrazel.com. If you want to hit me up on social media, I've kind of abandoned Facebook over a year ago now, but you can find uh, the podcast at BehindTheShotTV or me at Steve Brazel. Make sure you reach out, ask any questions, leave any comments or questions that you have down below the video on YouTube. And again, to all of you, thanks so much for watching. Make sure you join us next time as we take a look inside a photographer's mind by taking a closer look behind the shot. So David, again, thanks for doing this, man. This should be going live uh, beginning of February. Yeah, man. But you know what? I just thought of one that I wish I had told you earlier about when you asked about something that I, I missed or a picture that I missed or something like that. Uh oh Okay, what? As a good story. So Luke played halftime of the Dallas Cowboys game this year on Thanksgiving Day. It was a huge event for him, for all of us to be there. Um, you know, something like 30 million people watched that game. It was really a big deal uh, for Luke to be playing halftime. The halftime show, his performance is six minutes and 20 seconds. So I have very little time to make as many pictures as I could. Now, I had seen the rehearsals. I had been there the day before. So I knew what was going to happen. But it's a very quick setup. They bring all the stuff out on the on the field, the staging and all that. They roll it all out. Luke performs, and then he's out. So I, I knew I needed picture a lot as many pictures as I could get. I obviously am going to stand on the sidelines and shoot with my handhelds, but I wanted to put up some remote cameras on the stage as well. And so basically what I did was I was ready to go. I had everything all set up right when they wheel everything out and they get the stage set up. I have like 10 seconds. I run up on the stage. I put one down. I use my platypod um, floor plate and a ball head. I've got one camera right at the back of the stage looking out. It's a nice wide shot. You know, I'll, I figure I'll see Luke and the whole crowd and everything. And then I put one off to the side. I clamped it with a, a Manfrotto magic arm onto the railing. And so it was kind of a side angle. And I figured, well, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I'm just going to fire these things for the whole time, basically. And, and um, we'll see how it goes. And I even made the two guitarists, um, uh, uh, Rob and Tyler, like pose for me for one quick shot. I fired the remotes and they're firing. Everything was great. All good, right? So then I go to the sidelines. The show starts. I get the feeling this doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't end well. Um, so I go to the sideline. I'm shooting. I'm holding down my button pretty much the whole time because I'm triggering the remotes manually with my pocket wizard. And I'm shooting. I'm holding down. I'm doing. I'm trying to just shoot as much as I can. I don't care. It's six and a half minutes. So um, so then they the thing ends. They they start to wheel everything off. I grab my two cameras off and I look and I I. I you know, I saw a couple of frames at the end because I fired it when the show was over as well as they were wheeling things off. And I saw a couple frames at the end. I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then I put them in the computer and I realized they didn't fire a single shot during the performance. And my heart just sank. I was like, what happened? And I realized probably what it was. Once the show started, there is so much RF interference from the oh lighting, my God. all the lighting, all the wireless, everything. Now, I'm not on the same frequency as the, as the radios and those kinds of things. Those pocket wizards are on a frequency that nobody touches. But there's just so much interference around. I think it's the lighting that really does it. And the, the one that was on the ground on the platypod was right next to some lights, you know, the, those sort of moving lights. But the one on the side was a little further away, so I don't know what it was. But it fired before the show, and it fired after the show, but not during the show. And I was 
crushed. I was like, oh, now I had plenty of shots from my handhelds. Nobody's going to know the difference because they're not going to, you know, except unless they're watching this and now they know how I, how it screwed up. But, um, but, oh, uh, I mean, I've, I've shot remotes for 25 years and, you know, something is, can always go wrong. There are about a hundred things that have to just go perfectly to make a great remote shot. And I only had one shot at this six minutes and 20 seconds and I got nothing from those remotes. I was crushed. So just anyway, that so was much just better. Oh man. <laughs> He's human. That one hurt. He's human. That one oh hurt. I was God. like, wait, can we do that again? Super Bowl, uh, you know, uh, Thanksgiving Day football halftime. Can we just do that one more time? And so, in hindsight, for anybody, you know, I don't. Nobody's going to see this because this is just you and me talking. But um, uh, what I should have done uh, in hindsight is just put it on an intervalometer and have it just shoot every oh. five seconds or every three seconds and let it just go. I've done that before. I had a. I did the NFL draft a bunch of years in a row for Sports Illustrated. One time I put a remote camera way, way up at Radio City Music Hall in an old, you know, uh, sort of spotlight area. And I was very far away and I couldn't go up and down constantly to check it. So I put it up there and I just put it on an intervalometer to start at a certain time and then just shoot. And if it shoots 3,000 frames, who cares? Um, so, um, so in hindsight... Next time something like that, I'm doing something like that. I'll just put it on an intervalometer. If Luke plays Best Super Bowl plans. halftime, that's what I'm going to do. But uh, 